Welcome to the Raise the State podcast, a podcast to challenge the church and champion the saints. I'm Natalie Runyon, your host, and I pray that with each episode, you will enter into the hard and holy conversations alongside myself and other special guests as we host conversations the church has been desperate to have. Welcome back, stayers. I am here with David Rubelid. And today on this Pastor Appreciation Month, we are talking all about how to go back to church after you've been hurt by the church. And if you have been following my Instagram for a while, you've seen that David and I have done many lives together. And those lives do fairly well because of our honest feedback to you guys on things we've dealt with, things we've walked through, but also what you guys can look for in healthy churches in healthy cultures as two pastors, two people who have been raised in the church, hurt by the church, even abused by the church, and still find ourselves serving the church. And so, David, we want to give you a huge welcome. Welcome to the Stayer uh, podcast. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Well, you and I have a really good relationship. I know a lot about you, but why don't you take a minute and introduce yourselves to our listeners and give us a little insight into your background and what you're currently doing? Yeah. My name is David, like she said, and I am in the Phoenix area currently. Now, I've lived in multiple places in my life, but I grew up in Colorado Springs, which is like the Mecca, the hub of evangelical Christianity. But on top of that, I was raised in a church that is what is called Christian fundamentalism. So it's even this like tighter niche group. And it really, Christian fundamentalism, the way I was raised, only encompasses about 2% of what we call American Christianity. And it's within the vein of if you've seen happy, shiny people. So it's within that vein of kind of the strict, rigid, authoritarian Christianity. And in that, I was abused multiple different ways. So I was spiritually abused. I was sexually abused multiple times by church leaders. And I kind of held it in because in that environment, it wasn't really a safe environment to process, to open up. There would be people who wouldn't believe you. There was a lot of shame in that culture. And I carried it for a long time. Now, fast forward, I kind of shifted in high school out of that church environment into a different church environment. It was a lot more open, kind. Uh, it was a more charismatic church, even in the worship. And, you know, we were very stoic growing up. And so there was something about the difference in the excitement that caught me. And I was a musician, so I started getting involved in the music ministry there and loved it, uh, leading worship, drumming, playing all sorts of instruments. So I have a very similar kind of uh, story to Nadley in that way. And I was around that. And afterwards, I got an internship the summer after I graduated in this little church in Woodland Park, Colorado, which is outside of Colorado Springs. And I love those people. But it's one of those things where like your giftings and your maturity and character aren't quite in link and all they're seeing is the gifting. And they told me, they said, we want to make you one of the next pastors. I was like 18 years old and it freaked me out. And so instead of me having a hard conversation, because I wasn't mature enough to have the hard conversation, I just moved to Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> and <laughs> my, uh, my sister, my dad, and a whole bunch of my family members went to a Bible college there. They offered me a great scholarship if I just sang with them. So I did that for a year and I hated it. And well, what the struggle with it was, was it was kind of still in the vein of how I was raised, kind of. 
But I started realizing that I was having questions, doubts. I could pick apart the professor's statements and arguments to things. And I I got frustrated because I felt like there was an oversimplification of everything that was taught. And I felt like everyone just drank the Kool-Aid and nobody asked questions. And I was, I didn't have space to really wrestle. And so in that, I would say that I kind of had like this intellectual crisis uh, where you know, it was all just based on thought and theology. And so I called up a friend of mine in Colorado Springs who was a musician. I said, hey, do you have anything for me? He said, yeah, come back. I'll find you work. So I moved back to Colorado Springs. In that time, I'll just fast forward. In that time, over the next couple of years, not only did I kind of deconstruct a lot of my faith when it com- when it came to like the thought process but i found myself in san jose california years later and i was working with a worship team there and i was meeting with one of the worship team members who was about 20 30 years older than me he started talking about struggles he was having in life and his marriage and i saw myself in him for the first time and uh, I went back to my church office and I told my pastor, I said, hey, uh, I've never told anyone this before, but I, I shared with him all the abuse I walked through as a kid. And he gave me time off and then they paid for about two years of my personal counseling. Um, and in that, I realized that it wasn't just an intellectual wrestle. It was actually my nervous system and the trauma I walked through, basically telling me something's off, this isn't safe, question all the things. And it was a long process of healing through that. I think I'm honestly, because I still see a counselor, I'm honestly in a season of my life where it's actually one of the first times I could say, Hey, I don't function in anxiety as a default. And I realized when I was around churches, so much of what I was functioning as was, I was just watching for all the red lights. I still watch out of a place of discernment as a pastor, but I was watching just out of my own protection. And so that's kind of where I'm at now, walk through uh, wrestling with my own personal abuse like that happened to me through church leadership, but I transitioned out of a church as a pastor to where I'm at now. So from California to here. And it was interesting because that was a season where I experienced abuse as a pastor from the congregation. And so I've experienced that too, as well. And that, that was a whole different uh, trip up. That was difficult. So, yeah. Wow, I have so many different directions that we could go right now because I know my listeners and the Raise the State community are resonating with a little bit of all of your story there when it comes to things like deconstruction, abuse, getting back in the game, being in ministry. You mentioned the documentary, Happy Shiny People. And for those who have not watched that, that is on Amazon Prime. You can watch. You will need time to reflect and time to uh, handle your righteous anger because it is one of the most infuriating documentaries I've seen. Just seeing what our brothers and sisters in Christ have endured behind closed doors as well as on television. And David, talk to us a little bit about how these documentaries, also including the Hillsong documentary, but some of these documentaries that are showcasing some of the areas of abuse and spiritual abuse that are happening within the church, how are those helping? And then also, what are some of the concerns that you have about those coming out? Yeah, I think they're helping because they're bringing the conversation. So for instance, I don't have to fully lay out 
everything I walked through, I could just say, yeah, I was raised in the world of happy, shiny people. And what that does is enough people, I mean, for a while, I don't know if it still is, It's it was the number one documentary on Amazon. That's huge. And all these people are watching it. And I think that even with that and, and, and social media and the way we market things, no longer could pastors kind of have control of their little congregations and everybody think that they're you know, what they say is gold and a word from the Lord, you know, we're kind of in a space where there is strong accountability because now because of media and social media, the whole world can see the nonsense. And so however that will and won't play out, even as we continue on, you know, I'm hoping that some truth is shouted from the rooftops about some of the environments and some of the abuse. Um, to be honest with you, for my own personal mental health, I haven't watched either documentary. And when people ask me, I'm just like, I lived it. I lived it. I mean, I've worked for mega churches with narcissistic pastors, too. I, like, I've I've lived it. So, yeah, I will be honest. I haven't watched any of the other ones for that same reason, except I did watch the shiny, happy people just to understand where the raised to say community was coming from. Because here's the thing, guys, when somebody tells us they've been abused by the church or they've been abused by a leader, that's not an invitation for us to defend the church. It's an invitation for us to lean in and to listen and to hear their stories because Shiny happy people did educate me on what some of you are saying when you say I've been abused by the church. Now, David, you and I have had a fun kind of beginning of a relationship because our like introduction to each other was you pushing back on some of my language that I was using. And I welcome all of that. But one of the things that you have done for me is you have really given me this other place of empathy that I think I was lacking. I'm kind of a suck it up and, and just get going kind of a girl. But what you did was give me some new language around this whole church abuse, church hurt conversation that wasn't just everybody just heal and stop being victims and be victors, but really let's look at what's happened and let's have some empathy. What are some ways that as a church, when somebody says that we have been hurt by the church, I've been hurt by the church, what are some questions we can ask? What are some good beginning steps to help somebody feel safe with us, with pastors, with churches who have experienced true abuse and hurt? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just saying, I'm so sorry you walked through that. That's always the first step in that. The other piece is not to try and fix or defend. I think that our first inclination is to say, well, you know what you should do, or that's not everybody, you know, some of those sort of things. And it's like, we know there's good people in every congregation. There's good pastors in every denomination. Like, we don't need to hear that. But I, what I will say is I think that if we learn to listen, if we learn to honor their story, if we learn to say, I'm sorry, I think we could, as leaders, if there's leaders watching this, we could actually shift it to say, okay, what do I need to hear now so that I can do better? Or I could be aware of language and systems that I'm not even aware of. I mean, church people, when, when you're a Christian, after five years, you go from having a ton of people who aren't Christ followers to all of a sudden all your friend group shifts. And we start thinking in a way that's super insular. We don't think outside of ourselves. And so you're hearing a voice from somebody. And if they're like, I was abused in my church, such and such, or I was even abused at this church by such and such, we have to listen and be able to say, oh, is the language in the systems that we have in place, is it contributing? Is it triggering? Is it possibly going to contribute to somebody else's problem if it has not yet? 
And I think we could actually learn from listening to people's story as opposed to being like, well, you know, that's your story, but that's not going to happen here because it might. It's right. And I think that part of church hurt is over promising and under delivering. I mean, from everywhere, from what a job might look like to what a position might look like to what community might look like in that church. And the truth is, if you love, you're probably going to get hurt. If you put yourself out there, you're probably going to get hurt. And so, yeah, you're right. Like not just making these empty promises like, well, we're not going to do that to you. Well, chances are you probably will do that to me. I love just what you said earlier. You said there are good pastors in every denomination. There are good leaders. And I think you kind of alluded to it back in your opening segment where you said that, you know what, there are people that have hurt you, but you've also been hurt by the sheep. And so I have a saying that I say, yes, there are wolves in sheep's clothing, but there are also sheep who cry wolf. So talk to me a little bit about your experience going from being hurt by the church and leaders to now being hurt by the sheep. What does that even look like? Yeah. So my story is I was, you know, worship pastor. And then it was my first call out of being a worship pastor into an associate pastor position. And I was working for my brother-in-law. So he hired me. He was taking over this church in California. And after about six months, basically, uh, it was an old mainline denomination that came out of that denomination. And they weren't aware of their own tendencies, kind of like we're talking about. You just kind of get in the systems and the way you've always done things. And they hired us with the whole like, hey, we want to change that. And so we're like, I mean, their mainline denomination, my brother-in-law and I are more, I don't mean this in like cultural way, but I mean this in the way we function and believe we're more evangelical. Um, and so what that means is we really care about the people who are outside of our walls. We want them to have a relationship with Jesus and we're willing to take risks to do so. And they just weren't comfortable with it. And so after about six months, they tried to get people on the board uh, because basically the board could pick other board members. But if more people want to be on the board, it goes to a vote. And so what happened was they saw that the board had already kind of been picked for the future year. So a couple of the rich, powerful people in the church said, no, I'm going to go for it so that it goes to a vote. And then they started politicking to, to members. Hey, if you vote for me, I'm going to get them out. And so basically what happened was at a certain point, once they were voted in the very next board meeting, my brother-in-law was fired. And he's the guy who hired me. And I don't know why they didn't fire me. I have speculation. I don't want to say it in public. But basically, long story short, I was the only full-time pastor at this church for 10 months after they fired my brother-in-law. And just having to like process that, you know, I, I didn't handle it all well. I, I, went into a hole. I had to go back to recovery. I, you know, like I wound up trying to go to Colorado Springs to a church there and was triggered highly being back in my, and so it's like, it was a horrible situation because I didn't feel safe, but in my prayers, and this is a really tough place to be in my prayers to God, even when I was looking at Colorado Springs, that was a no. And so I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I'm in pain. I'm in a horrible situation. I don't believe people need to stay in the situations they're in. But as I'm praying, it's like, I don't have this door open yet. And I know why now it's so I can land where I'm at now and have been for four years. But at the time, I'm like 10 months of one of the most painful ministry situations I've ever walked through. I mean, these people for 10 months, I just had to move into survival mode as opposed to vision mode. I knew a time would come. And really what happened was we were looking as a leadership at the budget and we're basically like, hey, 
you guys want to bring in a new lead guy. You can't afford us both. That was my kind of push where we were all on board, both them, my wife and me to just say, I'm looking elsewhere. And I picked up the phone. I called three people. One of them was the worship pastor where I'm at now. And I said, if you know of anything, let me know. I have a few convictions and non-negotiables, but other than that, I'm pretty open. He called me back the next day. He's like, actually, we're hiring right now. And one of my non-negotiables is I want to participate in communion every week as a church. And he's like, well, we do that because of our background. And so it's crazy how God worked in that. And But that was the hardest 10 months ever to the point where the waves still crashed maybe hard, where I was just in a anxiety cycle for about nine months, even after the move. It's incredible to hear that because pastors, we want you to hear, we honor you this month. You know, Pastor Appreciation Month is a time for us to honor all pastors, whether you're senior pastor, youth pastor, kids pastor. We know that pastors get a bad rap right now with this whole hashtag church too. I mean, we don't want to lump good pastors in with those who are abusing the sheep. And I say this often on here that there's a special place in hell for people who abuse God's sheep. And so we want to just take a minute and honor the pastors who are listening to this and say, we love you. We know the sheep can be sheepy. (laughs) We know they can, sheep can bite. And I love how Pastor David has just kind of laid this out. Like it is hard to recover when you are hurt by the people you're trying to love and serve with your whole heart. And so we just want to validate what you do and tell you that the church is good and we're proud of you for holding on and not quitting. And we know that your churches, a lot of your churches, of those of you listening, your safe churches, your churches that want to bring people in who have been wounded. David, let's talk a little bit about how we trust again to enter into a church setting after we've been hurt. You had your own experience. I've had mine. I know that there's a very familiar want to vomit feeling in the early days of entering back into community. Talk to me a little bit about how you did it, what you did to get yourself back in, and even how we as the stayers can maybe try to look for healthy community after getting hurt. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say what you said and actually say out loud from October of 2019 to about January of 2020, I literally vomited every morning. And uh, and so it was just a part of what my body was doing in it all. So it's real. I mean, this is really hard because I can't really give a formula to it. What I can say is you have to be honest about the fact you don't trust. So there was a pastoral transition once at a church I was at where the prior pastor just, I mean, he was horrible. He abused me so many ways. He was manipulative. He was pushy. And so the new pastor comes in. He was a guy closer to my age, really nice guy, really, really good guy. But I just told him right away. And and I'm not telling you to do this, but I'm the type of person who I just got to get up front. I just told him right away when he was hired, like, hey, I just want to let you know, I don't trust you. (laughs) And, and, And he heard it. He heard it. When I moved here, the lead pastor that I uh, worked under, you know, I had a very similar conversation. It was different, but I remember he knew I was hurt, but through multiple conversations, I remember, I think it was late January of 2020, having a conversation with him just like right outside of these doors that I'm sitting at right now after church. And I don't think he realized the amount of pain I went through. And it was probably about a year and a half before I started realizing, because I didn't trust it, I started realizing he was the person who he presented himself as. They weren't two different people, but it took me a year and a half. And everyone told me, (laughs) 
hey, he's a good guy. Like he's honest. And I saw things. I saw things I never saw in meetings. I saw him stand up and apologize with tears in meetings for maybe pushing a little too hard on something or hurting something. I saw him during the COVID situation when he tried to drive a certain direction that our church wasn't ready for. I saw him go before our congregation in tears. And and so I see this humility, but it... Well, here's what happens, and I want you to hear this, is that your mind sometimes says something different than your body. And so, like, let's just say you're not going to church right now because you've been hurt. And you're like, I want to go to church, but your nervous system won't let you in. And I want to just say that that is normal. I think that we can gaslight ourselves, which means that we could tell ourselves that the situation we're in or what we're feeling is not true. I want to tell you that it's real. Whatever you're going through is real. And so if we could learn to listen to what our bodies and minds are saying, the triggers that happen in us and the red lights that happen in us, all they are sensors that tell us that that's a spot that needs to heal. And so sometimes if we force ourselves into it, we actually do more damage. And I think if we're raised in church or we're around other people who have raised us in church, they want to tell us, oh, if you just come back to church, everything will be fixed. Or if you just try this, that, and the other, everything will be fixed. And I could tell you through my years, I had family members, I had friends that just always thought I had an ax to grind with things. And I didn't realize that what it was, was they didn't understand and they didn't honor where I was. And so it's that wrestle through it. I think the biggest step you can take, if I can advocate for, is get a research-based therapist. I believe we work with here at my church, we work with research-based therapists that, yeah, are Christians and Christian-based, but a research-based therapist is going to understand what your mind and body are doing, and they're going to help you heal through it. You can't force it, and uh, you can't force trusting somebody. You're walking through what's called a grieve cycle, and there are things like anger and denial, which are natural things that God wired us to walk through when we heal. And so if we push ourselves and shame ourselves for those two uncomfortable emotions, we're never going to heal and move through it. So, yeah. It's so good. And, you know, we've all talked about this in the community that God is not in competition with your therapist, with your medication. There are times that we need extra help. And when it comes to spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, any type of abuse, especially at the hands of a shepherd, at the hands of an organization that should be protecting but are not, There is a need for us to get help. And I don't want to see anybody else take their lives. I don't want to see any more pastors take their lives. We need to have permission sometimes just to get the help that we need. So thank you for offering us that permission, even in your own story. And, you know, when I look over the church as I'm traveling, I see good churches. I see good leaders. I, I see people healing. I see people trying. What are some really good characteristics of a healthy church that you're finding as you pastor and you preach, as you're traveling? What are some things that you're hopeful for when you look for a church? Yeah, let me just plug two books for you first before I go into it. The first one is A Church Called Tove by Scott McKnight. Tove is the Hebrew word for good. And so he wrote a book on, okay, what is a goodness culture and how do we find a goodness culture in a church? And so I would encourage you, whether you are a congregant or a church leader, get that book. And then I would also say, if you're a church leader, pick up the book. It's by Chuck DeGroat called When Narcissism Comes to Church. 
And those are the two books that are like the go-to books I tell everybody to pick up in this conversation. 37% of pastors suffer from some form of narcissism, specifically the narcissism personality disorder. And we tend to play out and try and crowdfund our churches for the need for our own problems with our ego. And those are huge red flags in a church. Uh, And they're really hard to read because the majority of pastors in that camp are super charismatic. And so there's a few things that I look for. The first is when you walk on the property, what do you sense? What does your body sense? And then when you move in, are they bathed in prayer? Every healthy church I've been to, and I'll tell you, unhealthy churches are more the case than not when I walk into a church. I walk into more unhealthy churches than I do healthy churches when I do ministry. And I just want to say that honestly, you might disagree with me and that's totally fine. But when I walk into a healthy church, I know it. I sense it. And what normally it is, is that they are so devoted to prayer that, uh, I mean, the Bible says that you know the church, it'll be a house of prayer, right? And so they're so bathed in and so focused on prayer. Our lead pastor here, I didn't know it until after I was hired. And I sensed it when I came on this campus, like he comes in here three to five hours a week and just prays. He walks the room and prays. We have prayer requests on a wall. He by himself is reading through those scrolls and praying for him. It's, it's bathed in prayer. We have prayer teams. We're devoted to prayer here. And so that's always one of like the first things that I see. A lot of churches say they're devoted to prayer, but it's like, how are you practicing it? And then within that, I've noticed that churches that are actually bathed in prayer lack the level of anxiety within the leadership that I see drives unhealthy leaders. And so here's how it plays out. It plays out in manipulation. It plays out in pushy asks, oftentimes for finances. That is where that non-prayerful anxiety plays. And so it's bathed in prayer. The other place is, do the leaders feel like they have to pry into people's lives. And so one of the things that was shown, and I'm going to drop a name. I don't normally drop a name, but we talked about it in the Hillsong documentary, was that it was shown that even at the lower levels of the leaders that were maybe even bringing on interns, it was really important that they talked about their sexual history. And it's like, you know a healthy church when the church leaders don't feel like they have to dig into every part of somebody's life. Because to be honest with you, people's lives are sacred. And even though there's sin in their lives, what sin do you have in your life? People's lives are sacred and a healthy leader trusts that the Holy Spirit will do the work. I'll give an example. During COVID, we were concerned about finances at a few different times in there because it was weird. We had a tension point where it's, and I, you know, I don't want to get too too much into it for the sake of the sacredness of our story, but a tension point of what do we want to do and how do we go about asking for money? And our lead pastor just said, look, I'm preaching faithfulness to Jesus. And if we're having issues like this, he's like, we have bigger and deeper issues in people's hearts that we need to speak towards. But I never, in healthy churches, I never see leaders pry into things that they're not invited into. They trust the Holy Spirit to be a better minister than they are. They trust that Jesus is actually the good shepherd and they're not. 
It's, it's so good. And I don't even think those are things that we are like looking at when we look for a church. We're looking for, you know, is the coffee hot? Is there, you know, <laughs> cool marketing going on? Is there social media robust? And like you said, some of the more bells and whistles, the more it's almost like, you know, a, a distraction from what might not be healthy beyond that. And just a reminder, guys, that bigger churches aren't healthier churches because a church is big doesn't mean it's healthy. Just because it's got slick marketing doesn't mean it's healthy. And some of the healthiest churches I have been in are 100 150 people minding their own business in the mountains of West Virginia. So, you know, I think our generation is looking for that authenticity. We're looking for pastors to weep in front of us, to pray over us, and to invite us into this process of shepherding a city, which I believe is happening. I think these documentaries, as hard as they have been to watch, as hard as the hashtag Church 2 movement was to see, we are, like you said, bringing awareness now to the things that have been hurting us behind the scenes. As we turn the conversation to kind of bring this plane to a landing, one thing that I would love for us to do is just to encourage those who are weary to return. And, you know, I understand it's hard to go back when you've been hurt. I understand because I've had to do it. I also know that God is not in a hurry with our healing and that healing is not linear. It's a journey. So let's just, if you wouldn't mind, take a minute just to encourage those who are listening, what it can look like for them to be back into community and why they should contend for community. Why even try again? Yeah, I think what I would do is I'd reframe what community is. And so one of my good friends, Joshua Ryan Butler, he's written some articles that have frustrated some people that have been, you know, hurt by the church and deconstructing. And he just said, I'm not contending for the type of church that you were raised in. He's like, God uses house churches. He uses all different types of denominations. That's, I think, at least when I talk about community, that's not necessarily the belief or the that's behind it. I think for me, I would advocate for healing over pushing yourself. And so it might mean that somebody never walks in the type of worship gathering that they once went to. To be honest with you, we have people in our church that hang out in the lobby. We have people in our church, honestly, that they've been hurt by the church and they hang out in the parking lot and watch the service on the phone because that's the closest they can get. I'm in the process of this is, I'm not speaking this into existence, but praying through what would it look like to have spaces for people who have been hurt by the church in different cities. And so I don't know if that looks like meetups. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what the parameters are because, you know, different people think differently and where they've landed in their theology with that. I don't know. But I think one of my concerns is, is if people don't heal when they look for community, they hurt people in the way they've been hurt just on the other side. And so I would advocate for healing over stepping in the church, but I would move towards healing in hopes that there are new beliefs. And the word is repentance, even though it sounds like it sounds like I'm repenting from sin. And that, and some of you might hear that, and I don't mean to trigger you if I do. It just means you step in a new belief. It's a change in heart of mind to where there's enough healing to the point where you desire for a relationship and you desire for some sort of leadership. And I think that having meetings with the pastors, if you're in that place now, say you've walked through some stuff and you're like, you know what, I think I'm in a place where I could go to. When you walk in a church, ask some of the questions that maybe some other people aren't asking, like kind of what you talked about. It's not about coffee. It's not about programming. Ask some of the questions of the pastor. Uh, I have a friend in Colorado Springs who was really hurt by the pastor that he stepped out of ministry with 
Anytime he visits a church, he has a meeting with a pastor and he says all the hard things and the stuff he wrestles with and the stuff he will wrestle with just to see what the pastor's response will be. And uh, I think that that's a healthy thing because if the pastor feels shocked or if he walks through all the gaslighting, I'm going to fix you. Oh, my church won't do this. That might be a red light. One thing that I, I would say to look for that is maybe attached to your last question about healthy church is see how many retired missionaries or abused pastors are hanging out in the seats. Because I found that in healthy churches that are places of healing, there's people there that are looking for healing from ministry. And so some of the most healthy churches I've ever seen are churches that actually have pastors that are like, I was beaten up by my last church, but I'm just here healing. I would encourage you if if you're like, man, how do I step back in? Look to see, are there people who've been pastors here before that are hanging out and they're not being pressured to teach and do stuff because their healing journey is being honored. I was at a church on the other end of the city here, Omega Church, and there was nobody seasoned in ministry that hung out because the minute they saw things that were unhealthy, they'd raise their hand and they were ostracized. Look for that if you're ready, ready to start looking for another church. Look for some of those mile markers. Honor your mind, honor your body, honor where you're at, and don't pressure yourself. Walk through healing first. Realize that your community, you might walk back in. Be willing to understand it might not look like the community that you were raised in, that you're triggered by even maybe th- maybe you're watching now and you're or listening now and you're like being triggered even thinking about the idea of stepping in. Allow yourself to reframe what community might look like. It's so good. I hope what you guys are healing is that there's freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And there is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That as we are walking out this thing of healing, of walking with Jesus, that he is with us. And sometimes the only way we can stay with Jesus is to leave a church. That's just reality. There is freedom in the power of the name of Jesus. And so I hope what you're hearing today is that whether you're wounded, you're healing, you're in between, you're you're wherever you are, that you're wanted desperately by the Father and that a church would be very lucky to have you. But we don't owe people anything. We don't owe people our presence. We don't owe them our giftings or our talents. And as David was saying, you know, take your time, go in, do the hard work of getting whole and healed first. And then when you're ready to emerge into community, that could look like a plethora of things. And that is just how kind our father is. So David, thank you so much for being with us and for sharing what God has done in your life. I love the power of our testimonies. I'm so grateful you didn't quit. I'm so grateful that you are a healed person helping people heal. We hear that hurt people hurt people, but healed people help heal people. And I see that in your life as you are continuing to preach and love on people who have walked a familiar journey. So if you wouldn't mind, would you just pray over the stay or community? And then guys, when we're done praying, we're gonna go ahead and let you go. Like, share. I know you're gonna wanna share this one with those who have been hurt by the church. We're so grateful for listening and David's going to pray us out. Hey God, you are a God of comfort. You are God of hope. You are God of peace. And God, you are that before we even have to consider doing anything. And so God, we can learn to be, we can learn to be with you. I think about Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. It's fascinating that that Psalm is packed with in Hebrew with 26 words leading up to you are with me and 26 words leading out. God, the purpose of what you want us to hear is that you are with us. God, faith is a journey of walking hand in hand with you. 
God, the pain and the hurt and everything we've gone through, maybe whatever level it is, whatever our story is, we've all experienced it somewhat. Statistics tell us, God, your response to us isn't that you're far, you're distant, you're off somewhere, but God, you are the God who responded and responds as the God who walked in, stepped into our world, took on human flesh, dwelt among us, was tempted, and ultimately by the religious leaders who wanted to keep their religious thing and their concern with their national thing, God, by the religious leaders, you suffered. And so you are a God who says, me too. And Lord, for those who maybe the pain has caused a blockage, maybe the view of you has caused a blockage, the people who are supposed to represent you as the good shepherd have stepped in trying to be the good shepherds themselves and have hurt the people here. Lord, I pray that that could be removed where people could lean into you and and God, they can see that you are a God who brings comfort and peace. Lord, over anything that is said and written and moved forward by Natalie, Lord, I pray that you do your work in her. Lord, for this, even just this opportunity for to speak, Lord, I pray that my words have been couched in you. But Holy Spirit, I trust that you are the minister in the hearts of the people now who are sitting, listening, watching, however they're absorbing this. Lord, thank you for this moment. This moment and this conversation, the way we dialogued will never happen in this way again, but God, your work will continue through it. Thank you for every individual who is listening to this, whether they're congregants, pastors, they've been abused, hurt, whatever that looks like. Thank you for not only walking with them, not abandoning them, but Lord, offering hope and healing and life. May they learn to listen to themselves and you. May their God awareness and self-awareness grow as they step forward. God, we give it all to you in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen.